Good morning. Good morning. I'm going to uh, invite you to uh, find the uh, New Testament book of James. We'll be looking at a series of uh, verses in James chapter 1 here in just a moment. And as you arrive there, let me ask you to uh, bow your heads and uh, join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the gift of uh, this time together. Thank you for uh, the gathering of your people. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Thank you for the word that you speak, and thank you for uh, listening to your people as we respond. And so, Lord, as we engage in all of those activities today, we ask that you would use this time to help us to become more like you, that we would be people who worship you uh, with all of our mind and all of our heart and all of our strength all of the time. And we ask this in your son's name and for his glory. Amen. So this morning, uh, we have three things that we want to do. Uh, the first thing we are going to do is uh, we are wrapping up our Thanksgiving week. And uh, everybody still looks uh, fairly content from all of your uh, Thanksgiving festivities. And so uh, uh, we're glad to have the chance to sort of wrap up that time of Thanksgiving and family and, uh, and uh, being together. Uh, we are this morning going to push pause for a moment on our... Uh, series that we've been involved in, Holy Surrendered, and uh, we're pushing pause by doing a short review of where we've been so far. And then the third thing that we're doing today is we're beginning to pivot towards Advent. So Advent is uh, coming uh, next week, and uh, we want to begin to uh, get ready to do that. And so uh, we're doing all three of those things today uh, by using the image of a mirror. And uh, a mirror... Uh, is uh, um, an image that we find here in this first chapter of James. And the idea of a mirror is that we're called to a reflective life. And so um, when we do a reflective life, when we live our lives reflectively, uh, we are, we're not just doing things out of uh, ru- uh, uh, routine or habit, uh, but we're asking ourselves, why, why are we doing what we're doing? How are we doing what we're doing? How are we showing up? Uh, what is the impact of the way that we're showing up? Uh, living a reflective life uh, means reflecting on what God's Word says to us. Living a reflective life uh, means thinking about where we've been and uh, where we are now and where we're going. And so all of those uh, pieces are part of the reflective life. And James chapter 1 helps us to, uh, um, to engage that process a little bit. So James chapter 1 beginning at verse 19 My dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. So, get rid of all filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept uh, the message that God has planted in your hearts, for it is strong enough to save your souls. And remember, it is a message to obey and not just to listen to. For if you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen 
and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror, but doing nothing to improve your appearance. So you see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are just fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows and their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt. So we'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy and inspired word. So James here is helping us to distinguish between uh, inputs and outputs. Right? Uh, we make that distinction between inputs and outputs all of the time uh, in our lives. Right? If you uh, go up to a vending machine and you have a coin in your hand, uh, the coin that you put into the vending machine is the input, and the candy that you get back out is the output. Right? The input and the output. If you have a ticket to a football game, the ticket is the input, and the output is that you're given admission to the big house. Um, an OSU victory is an outcome, and that's something that we're not talking about today. <laughs> so uh, the ticket is the input, admission is the output. If you uh, push down on a piano key, pushing down on the key is the input, and what is the output? Sound. You get music out of it, right? The input and the output. We make the distinction. James here is making a distinction. He says that the reflection uh, that you see in a mirror is an input, right? It is inputting information. And the output is that you make some adjustment to your appearance. You wash your face, you comb your hair, you adjust your, your clothing, whatever you need to do. The input and the output, they're not the same thing. And as we uh, think about the inputs in this passage, uh, you'll see that in verse 22, uh, there are some very specific things that he says. Beginning there, he says that uh, one of the inputs is that God has put a message into your hearts, that you've received a message. And then a little bit later in verse 25, he says that uh, when you look into the good law of God, uh, that's having an impact as well. It's like looking into a mirror. It's like looking into that input again. So it's the message and the law of God. And when James here is talking about the law of God, he isn't just talking about the Ten Commandments. Uh, what we already know is that by this time, uh, the law of God was, was seen uh, as encompassing all of Scripture. So the Psalms are sometimes referred to as the law of God. And the Old Testament stories are referred to as the law of God. And some of the early writings are already being uh, referred to as the law of God. And so any place that uh, the intention or the purpose or the nature of God is revealed is considered God's law. It's God's word. So what James is talking about here is that uh, the input into our life is God's word. right? God's word is an input into our lives. The output is also detailed, right? The output is the thing that the input is designed to produce. And so if the input is God's word, what does the text tell us is the expected output? What can we expect to see happen? One of the things is we can see uh, that we, we increasingly get rid of anger. Uh, we get rid of uh, uh, the brokenness in our lives. We get rid of evil in our lives. Uh, when God's word is input, uh, we become more humble. Uh, we become caring 
for widows and for orphans. There are some specific outputs that we can expect to see based on the input of God's word. Does that make sense? And here's what James is saying. Here's what James wants us to see. He's saying, look, the inputs are important. The inputs are important. Nobody would ever say that God's word isn't important. The input is important. But what James is saying is, measure the output. Measure the output. The reflective life is a life where we look at the outputs. And so, churches love to measure inputs. Most of the things that we love to measure as a church, most of the things that we keep track of, are really just the inputs. And so, James is saying, don't just measure what you're taught. What you're taught is an input. Measure what you're learning. What you're learning is the output. James is saying, uh, don't just measure how much money you've collected. Uh, A budget is just an input. Measure the impact that you've had on justice and wholeness in the world. That's the output. He's saying, don't just worry about how many sermons have been preached. Measure instead how much transformation has resulted. Don't uh, count just how many verses you know. Rather, ask whether or not you're growing in love. So what I want to say is that the reflective life calls us to measure the outputs. What's actually being produced in our life. What's actually being produced in our congregation. What's actually being produced in our community. That's the output. And so in our series so far, uh, we've been working with five major inputs. And in this series, the inputs that we've been working on are the 12 steps of recovery. And we've been saying that each one of these 12 steps of recovery are uh, based in Scripture, and uh, they tell us how to live by grace. So this is not a list of rules that we need to follow, but rather this is a, this is a pathway to experience the full life of grace that God intends for us to have. And as we begin to live into this life of grace, as we learn about uh, the inputs uh, of Scripture about grace, uh, our life uh, is set free uh, from our habits and our brokenness and the hang-ups that we carry with us. And so, uh, just by way of review, here are uh, the steps that we've seen so far. Uh, first, first off, we looked at step one. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. And one of the things that we said about that first step was that we're all addicts. That, uh, uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the words of uh, Gerald May, to be human is to be addicted. And to be addicted is to stand in need of grace. And so, so everybody, he says, is addicted. A human being is addicted to something. And our primary addiction, our primary addiction is to the sense of being in control. Our primary addiction is to a, a way of thinking that keeps us in control. And so the work of this series has been to break that control, that, that self-centeredness that we're so desperately addicted to. And we began by looking at this, uh, this uh, text uh, uh, in Romans. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Uh, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't, do, uh, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am really the one, am I really the one doing wrong? It is sin living in me that does it. There's the sense of powerlessness. The sense of not being in control. 
And so one of the key ideas that we looked at uh, in step one is that the nature of addiction is that it resists and, in fact, feeds on any attempt to control it. And so when, we, when we're confronted with a text like that, uh, most of us, what we want to do is say, well, we'll just work harder at it. Well, we're going to double down. We're going to work harder. We're going to figure it out. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to show up more. I'll be more faithful. I'll be more committed. And we work harder and harder and harder, not realizing that the harder we work, the more we're just simply reinforcing that addictive uh, core. So addiction feeds on any attempt to master it. And then, therefore, all mature spirituality, uh, anybody who wants to live by grace, uh, is characterized by letting go. Uh, spirituality is not about what I can gain, what I can gather, what I can hold on to, or what I can control. But it's about letting go. And so step one was powerless. And that leads to step two. Sometimes it's easy to believe that if we are powerless, that that's bad news. But step two comes right in and says, uh, being powerless isn't bad news because it's actually good news. Because when you realize that you're powerless, that you can't do anything to change your condition, uh, then you are actually set up uh, precisely where you need to be uh, in exactly the right place in order to receive uh, God's grace into your life. And so step two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And uh, uh, the text there is from First uh, Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter one. Uh, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And that's that. That's that sense of powerlessness. I expect to die. I've come to the place where there's nothing that I can do. My resources are exhausted. I have no ability to change uh, the condition or the course of my life. I can't let go of my self-centeredness on my own. I can't do it. I expect it to die. And in that expecting to die, I become open to a God who specializes in resurrection. I speci- he specializes in uh, bringing back to life what is dead. And so uh, we talked about what does it mean to come to believe that. And this is, this is really critical for this congregation. Coming to believe that this God can set us free is not just an intellectual exercise. It isn't just a, 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 a statement that we assent to mentally. Coming to believe this means coming to desire this God. Uh, coming to believe that there is a God, uh, that there is a power greater than ourselves who can restore us to sanity is to desire to know that power, to, to, a desire to know that God. And and what we said is that we are fundamentally what we desire. Uh, We're not what we know. We're not what we believe. We are what we desire. We're what what we long for. And our addictions and our uh, control is just a collection of all of the things that we long for and, and, and accumulate and hold on to and all the things that we avoid and run away from. And instead God says, put all of that aside and just long for me. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on me, because I can raise you from the dead. That's how powerful I am. And so as we come to uh, this God to desire him, that desire, if it is to be by grace, isn't something that we work up on our own either. Uh, it isn't like we try to convince ourselves, I really want this, I really want this, I really want this. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, ah, but I really want that. 
Desiring this God just simply means that I become available to God. That I become present to God. I become present to God with my emotions. I become present to God with my mind and my thinking. I become present to God with my body. All of who I am is present before God. And as I'm present to Him, His grace begins to stir that sense of desire for Himself. And then, out of that desire for Him, out of that recognition that we can't do it ourselves, we come to a place where we make a decision to turn our will in our lives over to the care of God as we understand God. And we make that decision to turn our lives over to God. In the text that we use there, the text that we talked about uh, is from Isaiah 55. Uh, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. And as we talked about that, that sense of surrender, we made a distinction between uh, surrender and sacrifice. And the, the way that many of us approach the spiritual life is that it's a life of sacrifice. And we keep track of what we give up. We keep track of what we've given. We, we, we uh, keep track of, of uh, how virtuous we've been. Uh, and, and, and sacrifice, uh, says Richard Rohr, really is a, is a, 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 a sort of a, a pale substitute for surrender. Sacrifice keeps me in control. Sacrifice means I'm still trying to buy something. I'm still trying to earn something. I'm still trying to deserve something. I'm still trying to uh, find a way to accumulate the good stuff from God. Sacrifice is about me being in control still. And surrender is recognizing that it's all up to God. Surrender is uh, recognizing that it's all up to God. How do I know if I'm living in a place of sacrifice or surrender? And we said there, there were two signs. One sign is resentment. If I recognize a place of resentment in my life, where I wasn't recognized or somebody else was recognized uh, more than me or better than me, or I didn't get what I thought I was going to get because of what I've done, when life didn't treat me fairly, when God didn't treat me fairly, anytime there's a resentment in my life, that's a signal that I'm living in the world of sacrifice where I'm still in control rather than the world of surrender. And then worry is a sign that I'm living in the world of sacrifice, an illusion, a, a substitute for surrender. If I, if I find myself worried about what the future will hold, worried about whether or not I'll be up to the task, worried about what the outcome will be, the more I live in worry, the more I find myself worried about someone or something, the more I'm living in that world of sacrifice where it's ultimately up to me to find a way to give enough, to do enough, to deserve enough. And so, surrender means trusting in God's love, in God's care. Surrender means coming to believe that God really is good. That God really is caring. That God really will provide the best food and the best nourishment and the best gifts uh, without me having to buy them or pay for them at all. That it is God's good gift to me. There's, a, there's sometimes an undercurrent in, in the way that we think about God. And the undercurrent is, 
if I, if I really jump in with both feet and give God all of who I am and completely surrender to God, he's going to make my life miserable. And I'll have to give up all of the things that I love most and the things that bring me the most pleasure. And coming to this step of surrender means that I, 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 re, I come to the place of saying, uh, God, is, God is good. God is, is better to me than I am to me. And God's gifts are uh, the thing that I desire most. And then step four, having come to believe that we desire God and surrendering to his goodness, that creates space for us then, then to look at ourselves. If, if, we, if we begin on step four, uh, before we've come to the place of desiring God with our minds and our emotions and our bodies and being surrendered to a sense of God's goodness and care for me, if we, if we step into step four before we do those things, then step four will just be uh, an exercise in beating up on ourselves. And so step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And the text is this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God. But we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. See, truth is not just something that we know. It's something that we practice. One of our deeply held beliefs, one of the... One of the convictions that really gave birth to us doing this series in the first place is that many of us uh, function as though we believe that the best way to be safe is to be hidden. The best way to be safe is to keep our secrets, to wear our masks, to present uh, the best version of ourselves. And what we find in Scripture is that Jesus is light that the best way to be human, the best way to be safe, the best way to be uh, fully who we are is to be in the light where Jesus is. And that light allows us to see all of who we are. And so we see, my, we see ourselves and our relationships with honesty and humility, not shame and criticism. And when we do that, uh, we've discovered a pathway to God's grace. And then finally... We did step five. Having done that searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives, searching and fearless, um, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And the text is from James again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and we talked about the idea that all through Scripture, uh, uh, confession is a pathway to healing. Uh, when we confess to another human being, we get to experience their care. We get to hear words of forgiveness. And many of us did that uh, uh, just last week, saying those words of forgiveness and release and pardon to one another. Mary Beth just did that uh, for us as she shared the assurance of forgiveness. Confession is a pathway to healing because uh, it allows us to have a relationship of accountability. Uh, it, it allows us to break the power of secrets. It allows us to give another person the joy of, of seeing God's grace at work and reinforcing grace in their own life. And to get to that place of confession, 
Uh, some of us are saying no, not just no, but no way, no how. Confession uh, uh, is a door that will only open if we adjust our view of God. Right? Confession is a door that will only open for us. This pathway of healing will only open for us uh, when we begin to see that God is a good God and he's not just waiting to zap us. If I told God that, he'd turn me to toast. If I told God that, he would love me and set me free. And we may need to change our view of each other. Many of us have had experiences uh, of not being safe, of, of being betrayed, of being uh, let down, of sharing something personal or private and having that get spread around or being rejected because of it. And the discipline, the practice of confession is not a practice that says you say everything there is to say to everyone all the time. Don't dismiss confession based on a caricature of confession. The discipline is of, of, of confession is to find a person who will receive what I say with grace. So those are the inputs. Five powerful inputs that have changed the lives of uh, countless individuals across the world. And now we want to push the pause button. We want to offer some time to you uh, during uh, Advent and into the new year uh, to let these five inputs, to let these five steps be the mirror that you look into. Not the mirror that you look at, but the mirror that you look into. Focusing on the input. To see what that mirror wants to show you, to see what God wants you to see. Let there be an output. The reflective life uh, might take you to a place like uh, 12step.org. 12step.org. You'll find worksheets to help you write about the steps and videos and texts and testimonials. And you can dig in and work the steps. Uh, maybe the reflective life as you seek to translate the inputs that you've received into outputs in your life uh, would be to schedule a time to come and visit with me. Come and sit down and share what you're learning, what you're seeing, what you're wondering about, where you're getting stuck. Maybe it will be taking out your notes over the, from the, the series, uh, thinking about the Oasis prompts, the, the discussion questions, Writing about what you see. Maybe it will mean that uh, you visit a recovery group, that you find community where you can share, uh, like Celebrate Recovery or Al-Anon or AA or NA. Don't just see the mirror. Work with the reflection. We want to give you time to do that this season. Today, though, as we think about the reflective life, we're also beginning to pivot towards Advent. In this season for Advent, uh, we want you to have a copy of this book called Advent for Everyone, A Journey with the Apostles by N.T. Wright. Uh, this will be our Advent devotional for um, our church together. So if you're worshiping here with us on a regular basis through Advent, uh, there's a whole table up. Uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, and just begin reading today. This is... Uh, uh, or uh, you'll begin reading next Sunday. That's the uh, first Sunday of Advent. 
And you're going to find in there that the very first week of Advent is all about thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is a powerful theme in Advent. And as we live the reflective life, as we look into the mirror of God's Word, as we, as we see what God wants us to see, uh, some of the aspects of, of what we see uh, will promote uh, thanksgiving in us, uh, gratitude and rejoicing in us, things to be uh, filled with praise about. Sometimes those are things that ha- have happened in our past. Sometimes there are things that are happening right now, and sometimes we're thankful for things that are still coming. But living the reflective life uh, means pausing to see uh, what there is to be thankful for and then expressing uh, that sense of gratitude. And so this morning, uh, Mary Beth uh, foreshadowed that we're going to do a little activity, uh, and uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, uh, just explain a little bit of that for you right now. Uh, On your way in, you received a leaf, right? It should look similar to the leaves that you see up on the tree there. Exactly, that's the one. Uh, so take out your leaf. And uh, what I want to do is just invite you to uh, live reflectively for a few moments. Uh, I'll open us in prayer and uh, give you a few moments uh, to reflect on um, what it is that you're thankful for. How is it that you're thankful for God's grace in your life today? Uh, maybe there's something in the past that's uh, uh, having impact today. Maybe there's something uh, right now that you're thankful for. Uh, maybe it's something that you're looking forward to, some place of God's grace uh, that you are aware of in your life. And we want to give you a chance maybe to look beneath the surface a little bit. Um, go a little bit deeper than uh, the first thought that comes to your mind, maybe. Uh, sometimes the things that we're thankful for... Um, are, are even painful things. Uh, uh, sometimes the things we're thankful for are hard things. Uh, and we can express our thanks to those as well as we live this reflective life. So uh, if you have your leaf out, let me uh, pray for us and then we'll give you a couple of moments to, uh, to write on there what it is that you want to say. And then Mary Beth is going to tell us what we're going to do with those. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the ways that you see us and know us and for the ways that your word uh, acts as a reflective surface for us to look into. Thank you for the things that we see there, things that sometimes are hard and painful and sometimes even disappointing. Uh, Places where uh, we need to make adjustments and and, uh, respond to the things that you want us to see. Lord, help us to not get fixated on the inputs but to be people who um, resolve to live into the fullness of everything that your grace is intending to produce in our lives. And Lord, as we experience that grace in our lives, uh, there is uh, thanksgiving that is uh, the natural uh, result. There are places of great joy that we have today, uh, things that we're filled with gratitude for. We want to present those to you. So uh, Holy Spirit, come and uh, reveal to us Uh, what you want us to see, and what you want us to say.